0: Hello, hello, and welcome to A Reason for Hope. We are live with you for the next hour to answer your questions on the Bible. That's right, A Reason for Hope is a live broadcast dedicated and guided by um, your dedicated to and guided by your questions on the Bible. So if you have questions on scripture, maybe a verse or a passage of scripture that has confused you or you'd like to delve into further, maybe world events from a biblical perspective or even something you're going through or walking through or have heard and would like a biblical perspective. That's what we're all about here at Reason for Hope. Uh, We have multiple live platforms where you can send in your questions and I'll be sharing those with you in just a moment. But of course, if you're hearing me or seeing me, then you've already found us and we're very glad that you are joining us today. My name's Dave Robson. I'll be your host today and literally fielding those questions as they come on in as we move along on our hour together. And with us today also, Pastor Sean Richards, how are you doing today? Somber, but
1: definitely uh, mixing the bitter with the sweet. Uh, unfortunate news of a friend of our family, but at the same time I realized I ran out of jokes for my uh, time in the shade stuff concerning Mormonism and Jehovah's Witnesses. And Normally when people are looking for joke material, they'll look at, you know, everyday life and stuff. No, I, I got my uh, little...
0: A little polemics material here this is where i go for humor so oh, my. well i'm sorry to hear about uh, the bad news hopefully this hour will will lift your spirits as we go through the word together also with us scott richards he's a senior pastor here at calvary christian fellowship how yeah. are you doing i'm um, doing
2: uh doing great it is a uh, kind of a, a a bit of a strange day yeah uh for us not just to our own family but uh, for our church family but we'll get into that uh in uh, in just a moment uh, but uh you know, that's the uh, the amazing thing that we discovered time and time again on this broadcast is that, um, you know, one of the, the most interesting objections uh, that I, I will often hear about uh, the Christian faith is that it's just uh, not realistic. It's idealistic. It's for hmm. people that want to escape reality. But uh, my experience uh, walking with the Lord and ministering to his people has been anything but a bypass of reality. It puts you right front row center most uh, real and the most powerful issues uh, you'll ever face. Uh, So, you know, but it gives us a foundation to be able to uh, deal with these issues too. So we're looking forward on the program uh, to be able to not just answer questions, but hopefully deal with issues of the heart as well.
0: Yeah. 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 Well, it sounds like we have something very deep in the personal to discuss in a moment. And before we move on with that, let me uh, just share with you our various platforms where you can join us today. Um, As I mentioned, A Reason for Hope is an hour-long live broadcast. We're with you Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time here in uh, Tucson, Arizona is where we originate from. It's a ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson. So you can go to our website, calvarychristianfellowship.com. If you follow that Watch Live tab right there, that will take you to our live page. When we're off air, you'll see a countdown to our next broadcast and a schedule there. Not only A Reason for Hope shows, but our... Services here at Calvary Christian Fellowship, our Wednesday evening and Sunday morning services that we have. So you'll be able to see the schedule, like I say, a countdown. But if we're live, you'll see us live right there. There'll be a chat function that you can um, send in your questions and chat along with us as we go along. The direct link for that is ccftucson.online.church, or again, you can just follow the link from our uh, calvarychristianfellowship.com website. It's probably the easiest way to find that. On Facebook. Of course, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson or Facebook.com slash CCF Tucson. I'm sure you're familiar with Facebook. Um, You'll find us live on our page there. Don't forget to to like and share. We'd love to reach out to uh, people in your circle as well and just get more people involved and um, watching the broadcast. We'd love to minister to as many people as we can. Uh, We have an app as well for your... Uh, your iphone or android device android was the word i was looking for the other day pastor scott that I, remember. <laughs> <laughs> I remembered it yesterday um so i don't know I just went from my head but yeah well i'm i'm, I'm the least helpful person on <laughs> you to come matters, to, yes, so. i don't come to you for tech issues yeah. no yeah <laughs> and i'm <laughs> gonna stay in your lane Bible, <laughs> so. yes yeah. uh, technical mm-hmm. things maybe not um, but yeah, if you go to your, your app store on your mobile device, look for that uh, Calvary Apple logo right there with on, on the red background, the white dove. And you can download that on your mobile device. And also on Roku and Apple TV, we have a, a channel uh, that you can download as well. So you can watch us on your big screen, should you uh, wish to do that. On YouTube, the channel is called A Reason for Hope. So search for A Reason for Hope on YouTube. You see a picture there of Scott and Sean in Israel and you'll know you're in the right place, or youtube.com slash hope 546 That's where we're at there. You can follow Pastor Scott here on Twitter. His handle is at ScottR4H, letter R, number four, letter H, where he posts uh, highlights from the show and uh, updates on like prophetic things and news things and world events and that kind of thing. So it's very interesting if you want to keep uh, up to date on those, especially those prophetic things and things going on in the world as they relate to scripture and our Christian walk as well. So Scott Alpha H on Twitter, if you're a Twitter kind of person. And last but not least, questionsforhope at gmail.com is our email address. If you're listening to us on the radio, you are listening to our last show pre-recorded. So you'll want to use that email address, questionsforhope at gmail.com, and we will get to those on our next show. Well, with all that being said, uh, Sean, would you like to pray for us today? Happy to. Let's do it. Dad, thank you that we have the chance to be here. We know
1: it's a freedom and an ability. We don't take for granted, not just living at a time where we have a lot of uncertainty, but also in a state where we don't have anything to share if it doesn't come from your spirit. I quit my father and I to not only share your words, but your voice and your heart to your people. And may your name be glorified as a result of this. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
0: Amen. Well you guys mentioned there was a difficult happening in your family and it kind of raised the question do you want to share more? About yeah, well, not so much our our, our family but our, our
2: church. church family. Family. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, essentially the question was
1: asked in light of the incident uh suicide in a close mm-hmm. relationship, but the question came from Carl Heinz who wanted to know just what happens when these sort of things take place and that's all that was phrased, but we can assume it's referencing where do they go? what certainty do they have? Is it the unforgivable sin? What biblical outlines do we have for this very tragic case? And, and all of
2: that, you know, gets bandied about quite a bit uh, yeah. on the internet and in Christian circles. But uh, you know, for instance, I just uh, found out that a dear friend of ours uh, took her life uh, just a couple hours ago. That's uh, what I'm referring to. And, yeah. and uh, it's just, uh, you know, when you, you hear something like that, it's always just such a gut punch. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, you ask yourself the question, was there anything that we could have done? This person had moved away and, and was quite isolated, from what I understand, uh, but uh, really struggled with PTSD issues mm. and things along that line. Uh, but uh, whenever someone takes their life and, you know, you know them directly, it takes this question about suicide and the afterlife out of the realm of the academic, and it makes it very, very personal. And Mm. and the reason that I I kind of hedge this conversation with that statement is I have heard uh, some uh, Christian people, uh, even some pastors in the pulpit, just make statements that are absolutely devastating. Mm. Uh, to you know the, the the people that have to carry on after a person uh, takes their life, mm. and yeah. uh, and so we want to be very careful, uh, as always, really with every uh, question that we answer in this program, not just to answer it in a uh, a way that is consistent with the scripture. We certainly don't want to compromise on that, but we are called in the Christian life. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, to speak the truth in love. And uh, oftentimes when the subject of suicide, and can a genuine believer commit suicide, and is suicide the unforgivable sin, Mm. um, these discussions become almost robotic, um, academic, uh, philosophical. uh, And we fail to realize that, uh, especially in this uh, post-COVID lockdown society Mm. we're in, um suicide and uh, and the statistics involved it's 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 off the charts right uh, and if you don't know somebody uh, or a family who's been affected by this chances are before too long you will yeah. so we really do need to understand what the scripture has to say about this and practically how do we respond mm. when uh, a, a person takes their life and they're in either our church family uh, and friends, or or our own circle of friends. So um, with that being said, Mm. uh, maybe the best way to address this is, you know, first of all, uh, the question comes up, is suicide the unforgivable sin?
1: Mm.
2: Now that has its roots, uh, right, Sean, in uh, in Roman Catholicism, does it not? Yeah, unfortunately of the,
1: what is it, uh, mortal sins, as opposed to the venial sins that they would lay down for people to, I guess, judge and out-Bibling the Bible, they would say that uh, murder in any context, even self-murder, is a degree of sin that doesn't just have immediate consequences but eternal consequences because of certain structures and ideas that, again, would vary based on which Roman Catholic sect you're speaking to, but essentially divvying up around three main assumptions. That because you committed a sin, which we would all agree on, and that sin goes unconfessed, kind of dodgy, therefore it can't be atoned for, also outright disagree with that. They would then look at it from another angle and say, well because scripture, and this is where we're getting into some good territory, uh, says that no murder has eternal life abiding in him. The one who has eternal life abiding in him is saved, therefore you commit murder in any capacity that disqualifies you from having eternal life, which once again is a bit of a leap. We also need to take into consideration on the Protestant side of things. There are those who would adopt this tradition, but without the pointy hat behind it as the authority, a little levity to the topic, and the idea that, well, understanding that scriptural approach and just asking the question— Is this something that ultimately leaves a legacy of a life that God can use, or is it a gesture made towards God that would relinquish the kind of grace we'd expect in salvation? And then they would go to scriptural examples, most prominently, Judas Iscariot. Obviously, he had a godly upbringing, he had a godly mentor, he had godly surroundings, he even had godly environment and company. But when it ultimately came down to it, they would point to the fact the fruit of his life was suicide. That would be a, well, (laughs) you see, I even hesitate to speak wrong conclusions because I stop myself with too much information. The idea is they would draw more attention to the suicide rather than the fact that every word of condemnation Jesus made towards him was in his betrayal of Jesus. And we have questions about that we may get to before the broadcast unfolds, Mm. or concludes rather. But that's the uh, focus. And then Old Testament examples, obviously Samson and King Saul, the first king of Israel, were not uh, necessarily positive or ideal examples of someone who made actions that resulted in taking their own life. But the point still stands and mainly focuses on Judas Iscariot that's not the kind of company, the kind of spiritual examples you'd want to be in as far as the record of Scripture. Right, right. And this is where people kind of have to do a bit of juggling as far as the information is concerned. Am I focusing on the right thing? Am I coming to proper conclusions? And this is where it really gets tricky. When I come to either a neutral, a hostile, or, God forbid, a positive conclusion on suicide, that yes, you'll go to heaven, or no, you're absolutely going to hell, or I don't know. It's treated on the positive end as an affirmation and support for more people to take their own life, which we don't want to encourage. On the negative side, it completely strips those who are grieving, rightly so, of hope, and in conflict with scripture, which is what we'll get into with the unforgivable sin. In the neutral ground, We don't necessarily get comfortable there because that's necessarily where truth is found. There is a right and a wrong answer to this. But we need to make sure that we're not just, as you said, taking a sociopathic approach and just saying yes or no and on the basis of a lack of information. Because, as we know, there's one judge of all the earth when it comes to the sum total of our lives, and we aren't him. So the question is, in this undoubted act of sin, what is the final verdict? Well, you have to basically draw the line when you say it's the unforgivable sin on the negative side and ask, okay, what is the unforgivable sin? And the Gospel of Matthew, as well as in Luke, reiterated Jesus is being, notice, not condemned for suicide, but being shamed and mocked and even demonized for performing a miracle. And his critics, his detractors, are saying he does not cast out demons but by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons, Jesus being the philosophically trained mind that only God could be, kind of throws their argument against them and says, well, let's just take that out for a second. If Satan's casting out Satan, you got Satan civil war, and a kingdom divided against itself isn't going to stand. Shouldn't right. be happy about this? And wait a minute, don't your disciples, your sons, perform exorcisms? So are they demonically possessed too? or just or if this is the power of God why aren't you rejoicing <laughs> yeah. and so either way they lose and so Jesus then forms the conclusion every sin that is spoken against the son of man will be forgiven him lots of people who would be reviling Jesus all, even when he was on the cross would one day come to salvation at pentecost right but whoever speaks against the holy spirit that will not be forgiven him now Is that suicide or in the context of attributing uh, basically malice, literally demonic authority, to the miracles of God, the things Jesus was using to
2: prove he was who he said he was? Or, Or even the bigger issue, so rejecting the convicting and drawing work of the Holy Spirit that you're not going to come to Christ. The bottom line is the only sin that God can't forgive is the sin of rejecting his provision of salvation through Jesus. Which, again, is a
1: lot more words than the one we're asking about. That is suicide. So if we're going to side on the hyper-negative and say that's the one-way ticket to hell, that's a problem. The only sin God can't forgive is a willful, purposeful, and continual rejection of his convicting work, not necessarily in self-murder. On the other hand, in the positive stat, and I'll hand this off to you, why is it that we would also hesitate in telling people, I can guarantee you 100% your loved one is in heaven?
2: Well, I mean, we run into some scriptural obstacles, obviously. Um, you know, in 1 John chapter 3, we are told that no murderer has eternal life in him. Uh, you know, the, uh, the, the issue, though, is, okay, is this murder? Uh, is this a situation where someone was not in the right mind? Uh, is it a situation where maybe it was a reaction even to some medication or something they were taking? I've been involved with conditions of suicide that have uh, involved all of those different things. Mm. you know, and and so, you know, here's the bottom line, and and it's it's a very tricky thing. Um, you know, you can't come to somebody who is the survivor of someone taking their life and say, oh, don't worry, I'm sure your loved one is in heaven. You know, that's above our pay grade. You know, one of the great uh, casualties of someone so permanently taking their life in their own hands like this Mm. is the assurance of salvation uh, goes out the window. Um, Mm. You know, it it is always going to be a question mark. Uh, We're not going to know until we see the lord what the disposition of this person's life is and that compounds and doubles the amount of grief Mm. uh that the, the family goes through and this is one of the reasons you know why you know we don't want to have a permissive attitude towards suicide because the person who takes their life right they're going to stand before god and give an account for all of that but the the real victims in a suicide are the family members that have to carry on afterwards, you know? And, and so the, the best that I can tell somebody in a set of circumstances like this, I don't want to jump on one side of the coin like you've articulated, Sean, and say, well, based upon my scriptural calculations, uh, your loved one is most definitely in hell. Mm.
0: That's
1: helpful. Yeah, that's... Yeah. Most, and also inaccurate. And...
2: and, 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 yeah. and kind of an act of uh, hubris if you want to think about it. Who am I to say that I know the mind of God as far as his judgment of another human being is concerned? Uh, You know, God takes into account all of these things. You know, and I mentioned one uh, situation in particular, a good friend of mine uh, from uh, Costa Mesa had a uh, brother who struggled with manic depression, uh, was on medication for a number of years. Uh, Apparently, uh, they had uh, switched his medications, and he had a reaction to the new medication he took and apparently there were some uh, problems with him not taking the proper dose and he flipped out and killed himself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in a situation like that where there's all kinds of evidence that this person was definitely not in their right mind right. Uh, as, as they, they committed this act, yeah. um, you know, to be able to say, well, sorry, tough, you know, that's, uh, that's just the way the cookie crumbles because yeah. my theology, Takes precedence over all these facts. Well, what a, a comforting thing it is in the long run to realize that God is the judge of all the earth. You know, and this is really where we have to leave it. In Genesis eighteen twenty-five, uh, Abraham said to God, "Will not the judge of all the earth do what is right?" God will judge each person correctly. Nobody is going to stand before God someday, and this is what I share with families picking up the pieces and say something to the effect of, well, you know, Lord, I think you're a little harsh on that one, or gee, God, you know, you're kind of permissive on this one. No, God is always going to get it exactly right. He's omniscient. He knows all the facts. Mm. He is all loving. He is going to uh, act in the best interest of a person whenever possible. He is also completely just. Nobody's going to get away with trying to, to get over on God by holding, spindling, and mutilating some Bible passages in his presence. He's going to get it right. Mm. And that's really, in a sense, where we need to leave it. Because saying anything else, either pro or con, and boy, I've been in some conversations where people have taken the, uh, the, the, the judgment seat of God. And have dropped that bomb on somebody, just saying, "Oh, well, you know, I had to, you know, tell these people that their loved one is in hell," and uh, you know, and they they kind of congratulate themselves for being, you know, such stalwart, uncompromising individuals mm-hmm. concerning the gospel. <clears throat> I don't think anything could be further from the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who who am I to be able to say something like that? Yeah. So the other side of it is, man, you know, you say, "Well, you know, is in heaven?" I will just say, "I don't know. I don't know." I really don't know. Which is not the kind of thing you want said about you. Yeah. Right. You know, and so when I check out of this world, uh, one of the greatest parting gifts I can give to the people who love me is to live my life in such a way that when they attend my memorial, (coughs) they are going to be able to say, boy, I don't have any doubt whatsoever uh, where Scott is right now. Yeah. You know, I... You know, make make your calling an election sure, Right. second to Peter chapter one says. Um, you know, I want to live each day in light of the fact that I'm going to live forever. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm going to be spending forever with the Lord. So I don't want to monkey around with it or, or get involved with things that could call that into question, not just for my benefit, but also for the benefit of the people that love me. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to give them that kind of huge heavy burden uh, going forth. Now, yeah. people, you know, make bad decisions. Uh, sometimes they, they make bad decisions under the influence of of uh, substances and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's hard for us to wrap our mind around exactly what would happen. And I have no idea all the factors that were involved in the, the situation that we're talking about here. Um, you know, really haven't had much interaction with this person for a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, so, so we really don't know, but they've kind of cut off all conflict and uh, contact. And, and uh, First cautionary tale. You know, and, and, right. and, and that is a struggle. And, and I guess what it really comes down to is this. Having said all of this, if you're in our audience and you're seriously thinking about taking your life or, or that is something that you're involved with, first of all, avoid isolation like the plague,
1: mm.
2: you, know, uh, you know, in the scripture uh, we are told uh, that he who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rails against mm. all wise judgment in Proverbs, 18, Proverbs chapter 18, 1. yeah. And, uh, and, and w- if you're in a place where you're depressed, where you're frightened, where you feel like there's no way out, you know, if you don't have somebody else who can take a step back and look at your circumstance go, well, wait a minute, let's, let's talk about this. Mm. Um, you know, chances are you're going to end up making some really bad decisions, really God dishonoring decisions in your life. You don't want to do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, isolation is deadly Mm -hmm. in those set of circumstances. So don't isolate. Uh, You know, find somebody in your own local church who's Mm -hmm. walked with God you respect, you can talk to about what's going on with you. There's all kinds of resources Mm-hmm. And, uh, and places you can go where people are going to understand what you're going through. You know, you're not going to be condemned uh, for, for struggling this way. But you know, the most important thing I can say is if you're in that set of circumstances, please don't try to go it alone or let pride keep, creep in and say, well, I don't want people to think that something like this has ever crossed my mind or, yeah. or, or I've ever been in that kind of set of circumstances. It's, it's not going to be helpful. Uh, for for anybody involved yeah um you know and, and again I, I don't share this as someone that is just on the outside looking in at all this there was a time in my life where i was diagnosed with clinical depression and uh, there were some days that i had where i just really didn't know uh, if i'd have enough strength to to go through another day but the mm-hmm. lord was always there and i want to tell you something if you're thinking about uh the idea of just well i just I just can't go on, you know, my, my life is just over, it's just too overwhelming, you know, one of the most wonderful things that you discover uh, if you hang in there, you know, if you just take the next step, if you ask the Lord to give you the power just to take the next step in spite of what your feelings uh, are all about, you know, uh, you know, my uh, bout with the clinical depression uh, was back in uh, 1990 and 91, and I, I want to tell you something. Uh, if I just said, well, that's it, you know, it's just too overwhelming. And, and you know, and, and the darkness and the blackness and mm-hmm. and, and just the overwhelming crushing weight of of going through depression, I get it. But all that time, I always had a sense that the Lord was still there. And even if you don't have that sense emotionally, you've got that sense scripturally. He said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. And I'm here to tell you it gets better. Uh, You know, you might feel like it's overwhelming and it's just too over the top, but if you hang in there, uh, sorrow may last for the night, the Psalms tell us, but joy comes in the morning. Uh, It might be a while before that joy comes to you, but but boy, you know, I think, gosh, if I just cashed in my chips and just given up even in the midst of that darkness and depression back in 1991, well, A, I would have never met my wife, Pam, Mm -hmm. who is the joy of my life. B, I would have never had the experience of seeing the Lord, you know, create this fellowship, Calvary Christian Fellowship, which is just an amazing place where we see God working uh, in in powerful ways. And being a pastor here has just completely uh, been a, a blessing to me and has changed my life. I would have never had the opportunity to hold this little football-sized uh, critter named Sean when he was born, and experience this sense of the overwhelming love of God that He has for each of us as His children—I I- would have never. My daughter Sarah, you know, and the list could go on and on. You know, if the the problem with suicide is uh, there's there's kind of a hubris in a sense that's behind it that says, "No, I know that it's all over," or "I know that things can't get better." But God says something very different. Yeah. And, and God really does have a, a wonderful plan for our life if we don't cash in, right. if we don't give up. So, you know, if you're thinking about that, uh, you know, I want to tell you, I understand how overwhelming all that can be, and I don't mean to minimize that. But I also want to maximize in your mind the fact that he who began a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. Allow God to to do that good work in your life and see the difference that can make.
0: Yeah. Amen. I'm into that. Anything you'd add to that?
1: Uh, And just acknowledge the point, knowing that the Lord is there or the hope and prospect that things will get better doesn't change the emotional state. The idea is, and this is something that I've applied to my life on a daily basis, don't let emotions or circumstances determine decisions alone. They're factors. But alone, they can be used to manipulate you. Right. Make sure that in the face of the crushing darkness and in the face of these hopeless feelings that need to be acknowledged, need to be processed, need to not only serve their purpose in pointing out a real problem, but that that problem leads to a solution, not to a conclusion. That's, I think, the most productive way. To respond to that.
2: Yeah, and, and don't minimize the fact that, you know, sometimes we make a huge error when we assume that this world was intended by God to be a, a picnic ground or a playground, when it's really a battleground. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we are in a spiritual war, and the thief does come to steal, to kill, and destroy. Mm-hmm. Satan is a liar. He's the father of lies, but he is also incredibly destructive. He hates the people that God loves. So, uh, you know, just remember that uh, a lot of the struggle and conflict that we go through is not abnormal. Uh, it's it's quite to be expected, if uh, what we see in the Bible is true, that there is a battle for the hearts and minds and souls and eternal destinies of men and women, and we are all a part of it. Now, let's just make sure our part in it is to encourage each other as much as we can, and to be an encouragement to people coming to know Christ, uh, because I'm I'm here to tell you uh, the the length of time we have in this world is going to go by so quickly, and only God reserves the right to determine when we go out of this world. When we mm-hmm. commit suicide, we basically say to God, I can't trust you with this. I'm going to go ahead and do this myself, right. and uh, and we can miss out on so much if we do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: Uh, I had a question from Duane, which is somewhat related uh, about Judas. Um, his question was, was Judas destined or predestined, I guess, to sell out Jesus was that something that he was predestined to do
1: Yeah. remember the passages that as we mentioned briefly during the uh, explanation that the action was what was condemned condemned the action was what would make you the son of perdition the um, you know uh, better that you had never been born kind of state the action is what earned the wrath of God for Judas Judas wasn't named as the one who would commit that action. And Jesus, as we see throughout the gospel accounts, regularly and purposefully singles Judas out and saying, you don't want to go this direction. If we were to say that there was a, you know, Isaiah 45 is a great example of God naming names as far as this is concerned, saying, you specifically, person, are going to do this for this reason. God never names the one who would be the son of perdition. God never singles out this purpose for creating them and says, they will be the ones to betray me. He just notes that one's going to betray him. The fact that Judas did that wasn't done without fair warning. And noting the fact that God made the consequences clear, is this the route you don't want to go? The person who willfully goes down that route anyway frankly, has asked to get hit by the truck or whatever's waiting down there. Yeah. So we need to make sure that we don't say, this person did that, God knew that, therefore God caused this person to do that. No, right. he warned the action, right. he gave every opportunity for them to avoid that and the consequences that would result, just like all of us, in rejecting him. But the point being made is Judas wasn't singled out. There was, and there is, as Isaiah 45 would note, examples in Scripture of people being named out, If Judas was created for that purpose, there would be no problem with scripture denoting him by name. But for some reason, Jesus treats him throughout his entire life and ministry as the kind of person who could do the right thing but chose not to. Judas was a thief, yet Jesus gave him the money back. When Judas betrayed him, he told him, whatever you do, do quickly. Yet whatever happens, or uh, what happened rather, when he greeted him at the garden, friend, why have you come? Right. Why did Jesus put him in the place of honor? Why did Jesus single him out by name before Satan entered into Judas? Yeah, It put it in the heart of Judas. Yeah. He had sold him out already before the Passover Seder ceremony had begun, but until he had rejected every possible chance, his name was not on that ledger. Just the mm-hmm. fact that someone would yeah. remember mm-hmm.
2: that little detail because it can spare you a lot of dumb conversations. Yeah, and, and you know, I guess another example of this that, that can shed some light <clears throat> on this whole deal are some people just predestined uh, to be objects of God's wrath. Right. Um, the Pharaoh of Egypt always comes up, mm. uh, and those that take this point of view, and, and boy, I've read some pretty gnarly statements on the internet uh, where some pretty highfalutin pastors and theologians will say that. Mm. Uh, you know, One in particular said that if God has chosen you to be a vessel of wrath, uh, destined for destruction, you should just rejoice in that and glorify God as you go to hell. Wow. And I'm like, well, I give them points for consistency, <laughs> but I don't give them points for being biblical. Yeah. Um, let's talk for a second about the Pharaoh of Egypt. Um, you know, you talk about a guy that is usually pointed out as a poster child of someone that you know God raised up to, uh, you know, nuke him till he glowed and shoot him in the dark kind yeah. of thing. And a lot of times they'll point to a passage like Romans chapter 9 uh, and verse 14 where it says, What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So there's not him who wills nor him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. For the scripture says to the Pharaoh, for this very purpose I've raised you up. that I may show my power in you that my name may be declared in all the earth. Therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and on whom he wills, he hardens. Now, say, oh, yeah, see, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Mm. But when we take a look at the account in the Exodus of the, the successive series of plagues, the first five plagues that happened, we are told repeatedly that, uh, that Pharaoh hardened his heart mm. after each and every one. Harden his heart, wouldn't let the people go kind of did the backtracking thing like, oh yeah, Moses, take away the plague. When the plague went, he hardened his heart, said forget it. Yeah, Yeah.
1: and remember that's the process of this. He didn't see the plague and then stuck out his lip as a demonstration of God's wrath on him because that's just the kind of person he was. He chose to turn to Moses and say, consequences, make it stop. Make it
2: stop. (laughs) And then The the frogs are in my soup. (laughs) And and (laughs) everywhere
1: else. And the plague went away then it notes pharaoh hardened his heart and said oh good no more consequences well no more problems basically Mm. middle eastern financial processes to this day
2: so you know you have this going on for the first five plagues then on plague number six it's interesting it says that god hardened literally made stiff pharaoh's heart Mm. in other words god didn't introduce this state into pharaoh he simply confirmed it and then interestingly after that it alternates Pharaoh hardening his heart, Mm. God making his heart stiff Mm. in that set of circumstances. So in a real way, what Pharaoh got was what he asked for, Mm. what he wanted, but he was still given that choice. Now, if all God wanted to do was nuke the Pharaoh of Egypt, and let's face it, the Pharaoh of Egypt had it coming to him. He was the offspring of a guy who uh, implemented a genocidal program against the Jews where every a male child born to them would be tossed in the Nile and fed of the alligators, basically.
1: Which was the and, reason why the 10th Plague of Egypt was the same thing happening to Egypt, but with a provision of escape.
2: So, you know, you have, uh, you know, every right for God just to go, you know, you think you're the sun god Ra, you think the sun rises and sets on you? Well, here's a newsflash for you. No, you're not. You're toast. You could have done that. Right. But he doesn't. He goes through this whole thing, and we're told why. It says that I might show my power in you that my name may be declared in all the earth. Okay, what was God trying to communicate in his dealings with Pharaoh? It wasn't just, well, you know, I, you know there's some people out there that I just don't like very much, and they're going to go to hell no matter what. You know, I, I love how this uh, goes on. It says, uh, you will say to him then, why does he find fault? For who's resisted his will? For indeed, O man, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory, even us? whom he called both the Jews and also the Gentiles. Now, notice there's two destinations, if you will, you can have uh, as far as how you're going to manifest the glory of God. You can be a vessel of wrath, like Pharaoh chose for himself, Mm -hmm. or you can be a vessel of mercy. Mm -hmm. What would have happened if Pharaoh had said, after plague five, gosh, you're right. uh, These pagan gods that I serve, you've pretty much categorically shown me that I'm barking up the wrong tree. your God is God, as you famously said in the Ten Commandments. Mm. Um, what would have happened? Well, the people of Israel would have left and you know things would have proceeded differently. You know we, we fail to realize how easy God made it on Pharaoh mm. to say yes to him. Mm. You know first of all, he provided two pretty decent spokespeople, uh, you know, as far as, uh, as as presenting his message. He not only sent Moses and Aaron to Pharaoh, but he also equipped them with signs and wonders and miracles to mm-hmm. verify that God, in fact, was speaking to them. Right. He also made it so easy on Pharaoh. As, I mean, Moses and Aaron didn't barge into uh, Pharaoh's palace and say, oh, uh, well, we're tired of building your pyramids. Uh, we're out of here. Mm-hmm. Find somebody else to be your slaves. No, what did he say? Uh, Moses said, our God has asked us to go four days into the wilderness and offer a sacrifice. We'll come back and serve you. How easy could that have been? Yeah. You know. And yet, because Pharaoh hardened his heart, 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 hardened his heart. <laughs> God finally said, well, you know, Pharaoh, you've been coming to me and saying, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. Well, uh, your will be done and pharaoh had to live with that yep. and i think the same thing happened with judas iscariot god gave him chance after chance after chance to be able to turn and repent after all boy talk about a position of high privilege he wasn't just you know say part of the multitudes who were following jesus front row center seat not just for the teaching of jesus but the miracles of jesus uh even at uh, as you mentioned sean at the uh, the last supper Jesus honors him as the guest of honor mm. at this by giving him the morsel that's dipped in the sauce. Even when uh, Judas comes to betray him, as you mentioned, he calls him friend. Uh, at, at that mm. point, Judas could have repented. Now, the other thing that I think comes up in all of this is that you go, oh, Judas Iscariot, you know, he, he, he denied Jesus, but he wasn't the only disciple who denied Jesus. Mm. Who else denied Jesus? Peter. Mm. Not once, not twice but three times. Yeah. was
1: technically that? all the apostles at one point.
2: Yeah, so, so what's the difference between the two? Mm. Well, Peter hung around long enough, even though he was devastated at his own spiritual collapse, he hung around long enough to be restored. And, and I mean, Jesus told him that was what was going to happen. When you repented, turn and strengthen your brethren. Mm. Uh, Judas, on the other hand, semi-repented. He threw the money back in the treasury, but then he took things into his own hands and hung himself. He Mm. cut off any opportunity for restoration. So you're saying that Judas could have been saved and restored? Yeah, because God's not willing for any. And that word any, the Mm. subset, remember to do subsets in math, any. um, That's all of humanity. That includes Judas Iscariot. Mm. He's not willing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. But if we refuse the grace of God, and decide by our own free will that we're going to be a vessel of wrath, Mm. God's going to confirm us in that position. God's nobody's fool. God is the righteous judge. All things work out according to his will and his plan, but his will is to manifest both the glory of his mercy and his justice in the earth, and one doesn't cancel out the
0: other. Right, right. Well, Dwayne, thank you for that question. Hope that, that helps you out. Heavy. Heavy stuff, <laughs> heavy, yeah. Man. Heavy. It's a heavy half heavy hour of reason for hope. <laughs> it yeah. is. It is indeed. Uh, well, a question from uh, Taylan here. Taylan says, uh, "I feel like I don't appreciate God's blessings enough, and that causes me to feel like it's always a season of pruning or sowing. How do we love Jesus to the fullest in and out of harvest season? Are there season? Are seasons even biblical? If so, how do we recognize seasons in our lives? Are there seasons that God takes us through of?" Well, Sowing, I, harvest. Blessing. I, I, I think where that comes from is uh,
2: Psalm 1. Mm. It talks about the the man who meditates on God's word day and night. He will bring forth his fruit and season. His leaf shall not wither. All he does will prosper. Well, we have to realize that Psalm 1 is talking about a principle in God's word that, yeah, um, God works in our lives in different ways, in different uh, methodologies, in different times. But, you know, sometimes people will build this doctrine of saying, oh, well, I must be in uh, winter season right now because there's just no fruit in my life, so I won't worry about the fruit of the Spirit or anything like that in my life mm. right now. And, and maybe in a few months, spring will come, and then I will have a fruitful season. You know, I think that's reading way, 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 way too much into the text, uh, because Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. The one who abides in me bears much fruit. And uh, it's God's desire that that fruit would remain, that, that we have that experience of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, our, our change into Christ-like character, the, the the fruit of sharing God's word and seeing it impact uh, the lives of others, the fruit of, of demonstrating the love of Jesus Christ and encouraging one another in the body of Christ along that line. And I just don't know what day on the, the, the day on the calendar has to do with any of those things, mm. you know. This is the day that the Lord has made. We'll rejoice and be glad in it. To Quote another psalm. Yep. I wake up this morning and say, Lord, make me fruitful today. I don't think God's gonna well, sorry, you're out of season right now. <laughs> Not the season for, for yeah. love in your life. I feel a little just, out of season. Just, just, uh, just be a crab <laughs> apple today and you know, then spring will come and you'll chant. Uh, I, I, I don't know, maybe I'm being too facetious there, but mm-hmm. anything you'd add to that?
1: Well, and. Psalm 1 is a messianic psalm. It's specifically addressing the Messiah and all that he would do would prosper. It's not a guarantee of all of us having this prosperous life. Psalm 1 and 2 are conjoined in a lot of traditions. When we're talking about the idea of, you know, God's not blessing me right now, or I don't find myself as grateful as I ought to be of the way God has blessed me, and is Mm this my fault? Well, Kind of, yeah, how many of us not only are aware of all the ways God blesses us in a day, but are properly and appropriately acknowledging them. You can be the kind of reserved personality that I am, where I just don't wear my emotions on my sleeve that much, and if I do, it's to make a joke. But if, on the other hand, you're going to take into consideration the fact that the fact I feel certain ways is God's fault or God's design, I think that's taking, as you stated, two steps too far. I think there's a good purpose in being denied feelings, specifically of euphoria, from time to time so that you don't get, quote-unquote, addicted to or only associate God with those feelings. Or confuse faith and feelings. Yeah, Yeah. that's Mm -hmm. definitely something to avoid. But Mm -hmm. if we take a step back and go, okay, instead of outward growth, I can promote inward growth. Instead of me saying I want to stretch out my branches to use the term. I'm going to dig in my roots. Why do I feel certain ways when God blesses me at these times and others? And that can be a good motivation because anxiety can point you one or two directions, to or from God. You use even times of doubt as an excuse to dig deeper in your Bible. If you're anything like me, it gets you in your Bible a lot. I think uh, if you take advantage of those feelings but without misrepresenting the character of God, you can use them for a higher purpose than just, well, chemicals going off in your head. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. Very good. Thanks, Taylan. Thanks for that question. Uh, good question. Hope that helps you out. Um, one, one quick question I wanted to ask,
2: Sean, because it came up on uh, Calvary Christian uh, CCF2 Sun Online. Uh, uh, Sapphire asked, uh, did Pharaoh drown with his army or did he survive?
1: Um, We aren't told in Exodus 15, the Song of Moses, Uh, that Pharaoh and his army were thrown into the sea. It just mentions Pharaoh's chariots and his army. So the army itself most would conclude it was the only thing that was the casualty of this and he was just kind of left awkward on the other side. If you remember in the Prince of Egypt, they rather poetically showed that Ramesses was miraculously (laughs) shoved out, but for some reason the army stayed behind. Again, poetic picture of noting them on two separate ends of this because of their decisions with god but that's not of course from the bible that was the movie when it comes to what we can examine outside of the bible though what i would recommend is patterns of evidence the exodus where it notes the information surrounding this time period of the bible am i saying that archaeology and uh historical extra-biblical information are my authority over the bible no i'm saying this shuts up critics that are trying to make an excuse they read into essentially the records of dynasties and the people that were in charge and writing to each other and circulating trade and stuff. And a very interesting thing is a constant theme throughout the documentary. Not only is there this three to 400 year gap of we just don't know what happened in Egypt, And when you eliminate it entirely, suddenly everything that we know about Egypt lines up perfectly with the Bible, go figure. Mm -hmm. But in that 300-year period of history, they note a very interesting event where a uh, a pharaoh ruling in Egypt, the title varies as far as who was writing to them and when, but it was really interesting how basically (coughs) his heir disappears as far as any other record, and it's just presumed that he's still on the throne. And then his dynasty just comes to an end for some reason. And then it continues on into the other dynasties after him. Now, we look at that, and if you don't have a fundamentally anti-biblical worldview, you can harmonize it a bit and go, well, that actually probably makes sense. Because if the last pharaoh died as a result of a foreign nation's god... That's bad for PR, Yes, especially in the Middle East, and being the military superpower they were, thanks to Joseph, at the time, they don't want to lose that social clout. So in an attempt to cover up the exodus and losing basically all of their economy (laughs) through the plagues of Egypt, they just said, oh, his son is him. And ironically enough, that didn't carry any water to keep Egypt in power because, as you recall, who was the casualty of the Passover judgment? It was Pharaoh's son. So, basically, what we think may have happened based on extra biblical evidence is that Pharaoh, yes, was a casualty during the time of the Exodus, that he went with his army to, you know, fill in the blank, avenge his son preserve his ego whatever but he was a casualty there and because the nation had just lost everything they tried to put up a political front and it failed right and they didn't really get back on their feet again right. until about 80 or so years later when Joshua was on his you know de- um, inheritance bed basically i want yeah. to say deathbed cuz it's morbid but we don't have any other things coming out of egypt for another 80 something years and yeah. then we know that's the time of the exodus Wanderings in the wilderness and their entry into the promised land and that's also interestingly enough if you're interested in these things um, One of the earliest documented references to nations outside of Egypt or outside of Israel and outside of the Bible That mention the Hebrews by name it calls them the Haberu and refers to them as roving Canaanites that go in or hung out in the mountains right. and attack nearby cities, but left the civilians alone So real interesting stuff as far as um, extra-biblical confirmation of Judges and the Exodus, but you have to acknowledge that scholars, though they may be, skepticism does have a priority over these things. You need to be aware of that bias.
2: And and where can uh, people uh, get That information, if they want to dig in patterns of evidence? Patterns
1: of evidence, the exodus, and they've done a number of movies examining these archaeological features, but you'll get the information, you'll hear it from the horse's mouths, and they'll lay it all out and give you the chance to come to conclusions. But if you learn how to handle these things and use them in your favor in arguments, it can do a lot of great work for evangelism. And my favorite hobby is making people who think they can manipulate you to shut up. Yeah,
2: mm, yeah. yeah. Well, well, we've got about six minutes left, so let's yeah. uh, let's lightning round our way through. We got some great questions.
0: Yeah. we do. I've got yeah. a couple of questions that we can sort of same theme. We can put together from Dwayne and Yari. Dwayne was asking, um, "Is it a sin to say the Bible is mistranslated?" And Yari was asking, "What's the best language to use when translating the Bible?" And I guess we could comment on like Bible translations. Okay, as well, Okay, so.
2: real quickly, it depends which Bible you're talking about. Mm. Um, when you say the Bible. Um, Are you talking about the King James Version? Are you talking about the New American Standard, the NIV? Are you talking about uh, the New World Translation? I would say the New World Translation is a mistranslation of the Bible. Uh, So, you know, you've got to be a little bit more specific about that. But I would say that, generally speaking, you know, the King James, the New King James, which are largely based upon what is called the Textus Receptus, uh, these have not been mistranslated. Uh, other translations of the Bible. There's a distinction in translations that we want to make you aware of. Uh, There are some that are word-for-word translations. These are the ones we would recommend if you're interested in in study. Mm -hmm. Then there's dynamic equivalent translations, which are really thought-for-thought. The bad part about dynamic equivalents, like the NIV, like the New Mm -hmm. Living Translation, is that it really kind of comes down to what the translators think a passage means, Uh, rather than what it actually says in the original. That's why I I encourage people towards the New King James Version of the Bible, because it's an excellent, uh, accessible, uh, understandable, uh, very well-written translation of the Bible, but it's word-for-word. So as far as a word-for-word translation uh, is concerned, no, it's not mistranslated. Uh, When someone says they're mistranslated, sometimes it's an, an indication of talking to a Mormon, Will say, well, the Bible's the Word of God insofar as it's translated properly. And yeah. what they're really trying to sell you there is that the Bible is only the Word of God as long as it confirms their prejudices and the false prophecies of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young. Yeah. Yeah. So in that sense, no. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's
1: okay. What language is the best to translate in, the one you speak? preferably yeah (laughs) but is it a sin to say the bible is mistranslated again the new world translation is a mistranslation but you have to be careful in the sin of either deception or being misled right we have so much information regarding the reliable transmission of the bible it puts every other historical document to shame so so so
2: if you're saying we can't know the message of the bible because it's been lost in history that is a sin uh you know not only is it a sin in that you're bearing false witness but it's also a sin against yourself because you're setting aside something that could be a tremendous blessing in your life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah,
0: yeah. Um, was there questions you guys saw that you wanted to uh, address, or I can throw one at you? Um. <clears throat>
2: Is it possible? Uh, I think uh, the one from uh, from Dwayne, the other follow-up. Uh, Is it possible for supernatural yeah. forces to put bad ideas in That's your head? That's the one
0: I had next too. so yeah. Look at that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Um, there are days where a bad idea pops in my mind for no reason. I don't know why.
0: Yeah.
1: There's three sources of our fallenness: the flesh which is our fault the world which is not the devil's fault and of course the enemy which we need to take into consideration accordingly if we said oh the devil made me think it that's inaccurate if we say okay i have this thought the question isn't where it came from it's where's it going is it affecting my behavior or is it reminding me i got an opportunity to draw close to god and answer that lie with truth
2: yeah i love what martin luther said about that you can't keep birds from flying over your head but you can keep them from building a nest in your hair. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we do get bombarded by all kinds of stimulus and input uh, in, in our society, and sometimes those things stick. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe it's something that we even were exposed to years ago, and it comes back up again because the CPU on top of our shoulders decides to burp it up. Yeah. Um, you know, it's what you do with it. You know, the Bible talk, talks about taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Uh, you know, I need to ask myself: Okay, is dwelling on a particular thought, cultivating it, marinating in it, yeah. you know, bringing it up again, is it getting me anywhere uh, that I need to go? Yeah. Um, you know, that's what it means: to to say, okay, Lord, renew my mind. How do we renew our mind through God's word? You know, we we take in God's word, and it has that impact upon our mind, and re, it really
0: reprograms that CPU on top of our shoulders. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm going to say we're we're out of time. Come to the end of the show here, man. We sped up there at the end, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, a, uh, a bullet round for sure. Well, um, once again, it's Friday here as, uh, as we're broadcasting to you live here in Tucson, Arizona. It's Friday, so the last day of the week for us on Reason for Hope. But we'll be back with you Monday through Friday again, 5 to 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. You can email us questionsforhope at gmail.com. Questions for Hope, send us your questions there. And in our next show, we'll be sure to get to those. And once again, all those other platforms you can find us, bear in mind, Calvary Christian Fellowship of Tucson. If you're looking for us on Facebook or even our website. And if you're looking for somewhere to fellowship this weekend in the Tucson area, come check us out at Calvary Christian Fellowship. We're right by Prince and I-10 on the west side of the freeway. We would love to see you. If not, enjoy worshiping the Lord at your home church, and we will see you back here on Monday. Scott, thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Sean, God thank bless you, Dave. Yeah, God bless you too. We'll yeah. see you next time. God bless you guys. Thank you for being part of the broadcast.